Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning. It's one minute past nine. You're tuned to 102.73 Triple R. Maybe you're listening via rrr.org.au. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. Good morning to you. My name's Bron Burton. And I'm Fum. Hi. And from the island, it is. From the island, Kate is here. (laughs) Fantastic. How are you guys all doing? Great, great. We have a full show today. We planned. do indeed. Hey, before we get into that, just a quick look, couple of quick thanks, as we always do, to Tim Thorpe for uh, his wonderful three hours of Vital Bits this morning, clocking up six hours for this weekend. Uh, Andrew, for Soulful Bits as always, thanks to Justine for things to do today. That was a pretty cool wrap-up of things that you can do today. And, uh, yeah, don't forget, next Saturday you can catch Tim again for uh, for Vital Bits. Oh, it's so good. I love driving over here and just listening to Tim, I was I was thinking in the car. Oh, Tim's dulcet tones of his vital bits, and I was like, Oh no, 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 no! Don't go there. It's Sunday morning. Don't go there. But <laughs> um, thank you, Tim, indeed. And yeah, as I said, we have a full show today. Uh, we're going to start out with some with some weather from our uh, good weather boy from the island, <laughs> Cade, and then we're going to have a chat with Dr. Elodie Campress from Deakin University uh, about her new spider crab research program um, that's all about citizen science today. Um, we're going to play some music for you guys, and then we have in the studio live with us Stephen Gouter, who is one of the co-authors of the wonderful new marine guide, Marine Fauna of Port Phillip Bay. It's a wonderful ID guide, so we'll be having a chat with him as well. And last but never least, everyone's favourite baykeeper will be joining us, Neil Blake, who's going to chat with us about uh, microplastics research and um, some research that has come out from that and some activities that he was leading on the beach just yesterday with the community. So, a full show. Cade? Yes. Um, What's the weather there sh- today? There should be a Radio Marinara things to do today. And given <laughs> that there is no wind, get in the water, get near the water, unless you're into sailing. Um, because you're not going to be going anywhere. Conditions are beautiful out there today. Uh, there's light breeze basically all day and for the next few days. So if you're you know, looking for a wave or you want to get in the water diving, pretty much everywhere is an option. Um, and there's also about three or four foot of swell for everyone. And in true um, Melbourne fashion, the weather's going to be nice today. Um, top of... I think we've got 18 today, 19 today. It's going to be 21 tomorrow. Chilly morning, nine degrees overnight. And then when everyone goes back to school and work, it is going to be glorious. So <laughs> Tuesday is going to be 23, Wednesday 22, Thursday 24. And then just in time for the weekend, um, some rain's going to come along. But we've still got some lovely weather. This autumnal weather with the no wind is sensational. Get amongst it. Yeah, it is beautiful. And uh, look, I know you're saying like, oh, when everybody goes back to school. But look, mate, I know you are surfing during the week. <laughs> well, you're supposed <laughs> to be working from home. I'm just out of here. excuse. And I did. <laughs> forget the tides so it is a low tide at 11 o'clock and a high pretty much as the sun sets at about quarter to six this evening lovely so go out for a paddle or, or a um, snorkel if you can um Kay, did you get some news for us today as well 
Well, I guess you can call it news. <laughs> I got something that um, made me laugh, so I thought I would share it with you. So in the prestigious journal Nature, there is a paper that's currently under review, and it is called You Must Be Joking. Funny Paper Titles Might Lead to More Citations. Um, and in true scientific form, the word might is in there, um, <laughs> which means you know, we're not quite sure. But the idea is that um, you know, if you have a bit of fun with your paper title, you're more likely to be um, cited. And it makes sense. Think about newspapers and their little titles that they come up with and the clickbait and the rest of it. Um, apparently, scientists aren't immune to it either. And so I thought I'll have a look and see what some of these funny paper titles are. Um, so I've got a couple for you here. I'm starting off slow, but I'm building to a good one. So stick with me. So where the, where the weird things are, a collection of species range extensions in the Southern Californian Bight. Uh, and this one we'll be asking Elodie about. Precious produced when penguins poo. Calculations on avian, avian defecation. And it was looking at how much energy is required to poo outside your nest is basically it if you're a penguin. And the last one, this was my favourite, was the mouth, the anus and the blastopore. Open questions about questionable openings. <laughs> that's, that's a replicate. I love how with all of those, they kind of, they start out with the, you know, the funny, quirky, amusing title, but then they get really serious so that you actually know that they're talking about science. It's, there's always, yeah, there's always a, a colon. colon is yeah. um, quite powerful when it comes to science paper titles <laughs> too, yes. Oh, my God. Did you did you just uh, pick out the ones that were about poo specifically or did they just <laughs> name those first in the article? Uh, I, I think it says more about me than the article, to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, I remember one of one of the highlights of, the, of, of any show that you've done that, that I was listening to is definitely the one where we talked about the sea cucumbers pooing something like five football fields onto the Great Barrier Reef or something. Oh, uh, it was about um, filtering through sand and they, they filter out all the fish poo. I don't know. I think that was beach, if I'm going to ah, be honest. I think um, we're kindred spirits. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously. Hello, everyone. You are here on Triple R Radio Marinara about things wet and salty all over. Um, I just wanted to start off here with um, a plug for uh, the Hobson's Bay Wetland Centre. Um, they're having their first open day since COVID on the 7th of May coming up. Um, so that's a pretty exciting thing. Uh, the, friend, the, the Hobson's Bay Wetland Centre has been doing amazing, amazing uh, work there in, in that end. Uh, lots of citizen science going on there. Really, really fantastic group of enthusiastic people uh, looking after the place over there. And um, they have been able to uh, to get the orb weavers to come in and do a performance there. So if you're not familiar with the orb weavers, they're a fantastic local Melbourne band. I think they're a duo actually, and uh, they they just sing wonderful songs with natural themes um, about nature. So look them up on YouTube, and um, yeah, get into the uh, get into the spirit. And we will be posting a, a link to the event on our Facebook page as well. Um, so without further ado, hey Cade, um, do you want to introduce our first guest? Because I'm pretty excited to speak with her. Well, you've just basically stolen the first line of my introduction is that all marinarians are excited to be talking to our next guest because we've been banging on for spider crabs for years, to be honest. Um, our next guest is Dr. Elodie Compress. So Elodie is a passionate scuba diver and a fantastic underwater photographer. She shares her photos of the Great Southern Reef far and wide and engages with a lot of people that way. She's also a strong proponent of science communication through her work with Remember the Wild and as a co-coordinator of Pint of Science in Melbourne. 
She joins us now because she's worked incredibly hard to become a research fellow in spider crab ecology at Deakin University. Yep, you heard it right. We finally have someone doing a deep dive into this truly spectacular species. To totally nerd out with her pro on the project, I'm happy to welcome Alady back to Radio Marinara. How are you, Alady? Uh-uh. We're experiencing some technical uh -oh. difficulties. This is this is what happens when all the studio gear gets wet and salty. You know, <laughs> things just start sparking all over the place. And oh, she's there? No, no. She's she's come off mute, so we have lost her at the moment. Look, okay, one of the first to... things I'm just going to talk about her while <laughs> she's not here. So, one of the things that came through in her bio that um, impressed me is that she's actually a penguinologist, or she was a penguinologist by trade. Yes, it truly is a job. Um, it's one that my wife would love to do. <laughs> and the fact that I am still wearing my um, penguin pajamas says something about how far <laughs> and wide penguins reach people. Um, she's done a lot of work and research on penguins, and I was really hoping to get her on to ask her about the penguin poo question. But as it turns out, we don't have any sound from her at the moment. What's happening at the moment is uh, Nerida's trying to get Elodie on the phone. I'm actually, uh, well, I think we have her on the phone. Yes, you're on her air now. Excellent. Oh, great. <laughs> Elodie, welcome. <laughs> Dr. Elodie Compress from Deakin University. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. We've done a fantastic introduction for you. Hopefully you were able to hear that. And one of the things that we mentioned is that you were a penguinologist and earlier in the show we were talking about penguin and the penguins and the energy required to poo. Is this something that you're at all familiar with and is why is this an issue in penguins? Penguin poo? <laughs> yes. Sorry. Oh, look. Ella, did, can you just turn your radio? If you've got your radio on or on the computer or anything like that, if you can just turn it down, it'll be a lot better as well. Yeah, I just uh, yeah, I turned everything off. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's get back on track and talk about spider crabs. Yes, let's so, do it. It's a big project that you're doing. Um, instead of going through the whole thing, I want to know what are you up to this year? Like, what are you planning to do this year with the anticipated spider crab migration? What are you hoping to learn and what sort of research are you doing? Yeah, so there's very little that we know about spider crabs, um, as I'm sure many of you know. Um, so we're really trying to change that with Spider Crab Watch our new citizen science program, but also um, using more traditional um, science. So it's a bit of a, a mix of different methods to get more information about the spider crabs. So there's so many questions that we want to answer. We want to know, you know, about their movement, so where they come from, where they aggregate, at what time of year. We obviously know about those big aggregations that attract a lot of attention on the Mornington Peninsula in winter. Uh, but there's also other aggregations that, um, you know, happen at different time of year and different places. So we want to know about that. We also want to understand the role of the aggregation. So in terms of, you know, keeping the ecosystems healthy and the predators around. So, yeah, we're using citizen science um, for people at the moment to report aggregation. So we really would like people to tell us when they see spider crabs and also when they don't. So we have an idea of where they like to hang out but also where they're not found. Um, 
And yeah, later on, um, during the aggregations, we're deploying time-lapse cameras, and then we'll rely on citizen scientists to help us analyse the images and count spider crabs and look at what predators are present. Hi, Elodie, it's Bron. Um, it's interesting that you've mentioned all of that because just before the show we took a call from Charles and he wanted to let us know that he had been walking yesterday on the ocean side of, uh, of Swan Bay, if that makes sense, and had seen some spider crabs and uh, wanted to let us know. I guess the important thing here is that he really needs to let you know. What does he? What should he do? What, I mean, we can report this for him, but what, what should people like Charles do if they're, if they're out and about, not necessarily walking, because I, I guess this would suggest that they're relatively close to, to shore, but uh, if they're out in their boats or they happen to see them, what should they do? Yeah, well, that's a very interesting uh, observation. So, yeah, we encourage people to jump on the platform called iNaturalist, and the project is called Spider Crab Watch. So people can find it by Googling Spider Crab Watch iNaturalist on their favorite search engine, and then they'll take them to the project. And once people create an account, which only takes a few minutes, they're ready to log sighting. So logging a sighting only takes a few minutes. Uh, we don't need photos, but if people have photos, that's even better. And then they enter the date, the time, the location, and just fill a few, a few fields, and that's all good to go. Then they can submit observations to us. So, Alady, you've got, um, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of questions that you would like to answer. Obviously, the way you'll go about it is trying to answer a few and see how you go. What are some of the, I guess, the critical questions that you're asking at the moment and you're trying to get some information to answer? Yeah, so we really, well, I guess one, one of the main questions that we have is about these aggregations and, in you know, what place do they happen and what time? So we know about the main one, but, you know, as you mentioned, spotted have been seen in Swan Bay just now and then uh, over Easter. I've been told they were also in St. Leonard. So we know that there's information we haven't been capturing about the whereabouts of this crabs and the aggregation so we really need to understand where they are where they aggregate and, and at what time of year um, we know that the main winter aggregations are for malting but we're also wondering about the purpose of other aggregations so it'd be very interesting to get photos and sightings to answer that and there's a lot of information out there as i mentioned earlier um, i did quite ungracefully say that Radio Marinara have been banging on about this for a long time, but there is a lot of information out there, that hist historical information, so people who have got sightings, people who have been diving with these things for years. Is, is that information being captured as well and fed into this story? Because I imagine a lot of listeners are there going, I know this, I've seen them, I've got this information, I've got photos, I've got my logbook, I've got this stuff. Are you looking at capturing that data too? Yes, absolutely. So we obviously welcome any kind of sightings, including historical sightings. So, yeah, if anyone out there has some photos or videos and, yeah, they want to uh, create sightings for aggregations they've seen in the past, that would be super useful. 
Yeah, and also people who who go out for um, you know not just necessarily for for diving or watching wildlife, but also also fishing. Because I remember I went on a scallop dive once, and um, you know we took the boat out there, and uh, there was a whole group of us, and and we're all down there. Um, with our catch bags and, and catching some scallops. And that was actually the first time that I've noticed spider crabs on the seafloor, just on the mud flats in the bay, uh, without them being in aggregations. Um, so so what what happens when, when people see that? Like, do they just go on iNaturalist and kind of like... You know, like a put a put a pin in <laughs> in the part of the bay where they were, um, and and is there a way of um, you know putting in iNaturalist or if they, if they see an aggregation or or just one crab? Like, what is what what's the information specifically that you value the most, or is it just a um, you know absence uh, or presence and absence research? Uh, yes, it's a bit of everything, actually. So we are interested in absence data and presence data, but when people log at sightings, they can choose um, what they've actually seen. So have they seen live spider crabs or no spider crabs or molds? Um, so, yeah, there are these fields that are there for people to fill out. So we're interested in any data on spider crabs, not just aggregation. So if people come across one spider crab, great. We'd love to know as well because um, we're interested in aggregations, but also what kind of habitat the spider crabs like in general. Um, so sightings, as you said, you know, you go on a scallop dive and you, you see the crabs, that's great. We'd love to know. If you're fishing from a pier and you see spider crabs, then we'd also love to know. Um, so, yeah, again, people can submit photos if they have taken photos, but they don't have. They don't have to have photos. Uh, but one helpful tip is that if people put the iNaturalist app on their phone, they can actually create a sighting straight away on the field, in the field, and the GPS location will be retrieved by the app, so it's even easier to create a sighting. So if you're out on the boat or out on pier, you see spider crabs, for example, fishing, you can just get your phone with the app, create a sighting, and it will um, retrieve your location. You don't have to type it, so it's even more convenient. I'm all for iNaturalist. It's one of the easiest sort of apps to use for those type of things and sightings. Um, You've mentioned there's a great way for citizen scientists to get involved, but there's also a lot of traditional science being done alongside it. And so what is this fun stuff that you get to do? Ha! I want to know about the cameras. <laughs> yes, the, the cameras, that's the first step. So they'll be ready to hit the water very soon. We're really excited about that. Um, so we'll deploy cameras on the Rye Pier and Blairgory Pier, at least for now, because um, this is the main sites where we expect the spider crabs to come up. But obviously if we have other information and they aggregate at different times, we can be flexible and move the cameras. But, yeah, we'd love to capture good images at different stages during aggregations and then upload these images onto another citizen science uh, portal where people can look at the images and help us count the spider crabs and help us analyse what's on the images. For example, you know, are there any rays around? Are there any 
you know, sharks, or are there any seals? Um, so we're really excited about that. That's our first step. But we're also um, going to be doing surveys during aggregations. Uh, we're going to, you know, sex crabs and measure them to have an idea of what the aggregations are actually made of, because we don't really know at this stage. Uh, we're going to do baited cameras. So there are cameras with baits that um, predators just kind of come and check out. So we'll have an idea. This is an ongoing um, type of survey that would tell us what kind of predators are around at different time of year, including during aggregations. And uh, we'll also do acoustic tagging. So um, crabs will, will tag a few crabs with some little miniature devices that sort of gives a ping, a signal, uh, when they come close to what we call listening stations that are all across the bay. So this will be very helpful to um, follow their um, post-migration movements, so where they go after the migration. So, Alady, you've basically just set yourself up to come into Radio Marinara for the next few years to keep us updated <laughs> with all this work that's going on because there is so much to dig into there. And I will um, follow up with penguin poo questions at a later date and let people know about that. Thank you so much for your time this morning. What's the easiest way for people to find out all this information that has just been downloaded into their heads? Yeah, so again, Spider Crab Watch on iNaturalist. Just uh, go on to there, go on to the project. There are video tutorials there for you to watch uh, to log in sightings and uh, my contact details as well. So anyone who has questions or feedback or comment is more than welcome to contact me as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. That was Dr. Elodie Campras from Deakin University and we will put some links on our Facebook page as well. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinara en tres triple R. En tres triple R, indeed. You are on Radio Marinara on Triple R Radio. And before we move on, um, I just wanted to do a bit of local news. Um, as you may have heard uh, from Cade as well uh, last week on the radio, uh, we have unfortunately lost a wonderful friend and ocean advocate called Trent Williams. And Cade and I uh, were there at the the wonderful funeral um, on Friday. And I say wonderful funeral, not in a sense, obviously, that you think it is, but because there were just so many people there. And I just wanted to acknowledge Trent's amazing life and his work and his dedication um, to the to the marine environment. He was a wonderful, wonderful um, volunteer, always putting up his hand, um, you know, to do all the practical stuff. I was with Sea Shepherd since 2012, I believe, hey, Kate, like, and uh, it, it was, was really yeah. beautiful to see. I, I reckon there were about 200 people there who turned up in person and then way, way more people on the webcast as well uh, involved um, in the funeral and um yeah we just wanted to um say a few words to trent trent rest in peace we will miss you hi this is wayne lynch and you're listening to radio marinara on three triple r welcome back to radio marinara on three triple r indeed it is 9 32 and i'm um getting all the messages in from people who knew trent they're very happy that we're talking about him on the radio this was vessel by she is arjuna from her debut album the age of convenience and we have in the studio stephen coater who is now <laughs> the co-author of the marine fauna of port Phillip bay new id guide welcome steve thanks for having me 
making the uh, making the trek from Seaford. Um, now, this guide has recently come out and it is hot off the press and it went off the shelves pretty much immediately. So it's already been sold out. But don't despair. Um, there is uh, there is a new print coming. Uh, but before we go any further with our questions, I just wanted to introduce you properly, Steve, because you're a wild wildlife photographer from Seaford and you mo- mostly focus on nocturnal and macro photography and underwater subjects since you have taken up the scuba gear and uh, went down there. Um, and for following the success of the coastal sea fishes of southeastern Australia uh, field guide, Steve and his father, Rudy Couter, filled your, the lockdowns with producing their latest book, Marine Fauna of Port Phillip Bay. It's a 370-page identification guide to nudibranch, crabs, shrimps, octopus. Basically, if you've ever seen anything move under a pier in the bay and thought, what the hell is that? Then this is the guide for you, basically. <laughs> um, this book contains over 1,700 color images. Uh, it features quick search pages, uh, thumbnail images to make identifying so much easier and lots of facts and observations of many species. Um, So it is an amazing piece of work, Steve. And uh, I am really glad also to hear that something such so positive has come out of the lockdowns. Um, Now, your father, Rudy, is a bit of a legend when it comes to marine field guides. He's got about, what, like 13 books or something to his name by now? Probably about 100, actually. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, they have to uh, definitely update his Wikipedia page then. (laughs) Um, but what, so this obviously is, is quite a family affair. So what made you two decide to make this guy, this guide in particular, and, uh, what made you get involved in this? So we did the, the Fisher's book first Mm -hmm. and, um, that was a pretty handy guide just to have around. It was sort of a, a, a carry around copy of the, the big blue coastal sea fishes of Southeastern Australia that he produced in the nineties, I think it was. And um, we made a handbook of it, and following the success of that, everyone was sort of saying it'd be great if you could do one on nudibranchs, it'd be great if you could do one on sea stars, and and they were giving us these individual categories, and each one of those is a huge undertaking, something that we never would have had time to do, and then when the lockdown got announced, the the big one, the sort of eight month one, um, we decided to give it a go, and we thought we'd we'd start off. I think we started off with cephalopods first, just to see how viable it was, to see if we had enough content and the information and the nice photos and everything like that. And we had ninety percent of it there. So apart from a few key identifying photos or behavioural photos and things like that, we started collating all the images of nudibranchs and urchins and seeing how much of a book we could make. And it was pretty much there. It was good to go. So um, when we started producing it and and we were both getting more and more excited and enthusiastic about it. And, and of course, I'm, I'm in Seaford on the beach, so I could still, I was even within 5K, so I could go out and dive every night. Oh, you get, lucky bugger. Oh, I, I, so <laughs> you I, lucky bugger. Yeah, I was, I was a horrible person during that. I was diving every night, two times a night sometimes. So, Stephen, I've just got it in front of me here. And from page 33 to page 117 is just nudibranchs. There's a lot. Port Phillip Bay is fantastic for nudibranchs. Um, so they've become super popular recently, uh, especially just in the general public eye. So with all these uh, nudibranch sensors and um, all, all the admiration about these tiny little sea slugs going around at the moment, they've just become so popular. And it was one of the, the main things that got requested after the fish book came out. They're like, you got to do a nudibranch book. And there are great books out there already. Uh, I know uh, Bob's, Bob Burns' book is, is our go-to. 
Um, and I think Nicole Mertens has got one coming out too. So, yeah. um, Spoiler so when... alert. <laughs> oh, is that what no, you no, think? No, oh, no, my no, God. <laughs> no, 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 just kidding. Yeah, but um, so they're, they're the go-to people. So this is more of an identification guide, uh, just a visual sort of reference guide. But um, there are some fantastic books coming out. Uh, and that are out on on further information and more of the scientific and diagnostic stuff out there. So um, we, we hope they don't feel we're taking anything away from them because uh, we just want to make uh, make them more of a put them more in the spotlight. It's interesting. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Kate. No, you're right, Steve. You mentioned um, like Bob's book being the go-to, and yes, Nicole is currently producing a book as a beginner's guide to nudibranchs for people, so to fill a gap. But um, I picked up the book and I'm like, how the hell does he know all these species? And how the hell do you know all these species? <laughs> and do you have people helping you? <laughs> yeah, so obviously uh, Dad's been doing this for a, a long, long time and knows uh, pretty much in, everyone in the industry. But anyone that knows me knows I'm terrible at names. So I, I go to the books and I use them myself. And uh, obviously we have... Uh, everything filed and categorized and things like that but we, we still generally have to go to uh, a myriad of different people to try and get all this information so part of the, having the book is trying to collate everyone's work into one sort of reference material um, so yeah certainly I don't remember all the names um, all the Latin <laughs> names I, I, I can't do it I know a lot of them but um, yeah, when you when you start talking to the experts and they're just peeling off Latin names, I'm lost. Just lost as anyone. Do you make up your own names? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The pink candy one, you know, whatever, whatever comes to mind. Yeah, George. George. <laughs> yeah. I was interested. Um, Farm mentioned in her introduction that you know basically if it moves under the bay, then it's in here. But um, but you've got a whole range of uh, animals and creatures in here that don't move as well. So looking at the anthozoans, so anemones, corals, sea pens as well. So it's not just animals. that move. <laughs> Now we're oh, okay, the sea pen dance here. You guys can't see. Yeah, it, so there's, there's, <laughs> we we try to include all that and the bryozoans and things as, as well. So um, pretty much any living creature, but we. We didn't really go for. We thought it was best if we didn't do like seals and dolphins and any of the mammals. All uh, the sexy stuff, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah all the fancy stuff. Yeah. Leave that to, the, to when you jump in. And, and but I think I think that's the that's dive. the strength of this marine guide, though, because it is literally like, you know, I, I call myself a marine biologist, and I was thumbing through this through this book in these photos. I'm like, what is that? What is that? What is that? <laughs> you know. So th this is this is really amazing, and especially because you're photographing a lot of the super super tiny stuff as yeah. well. Like you're not leaving anything out. That's definitely my favorite thing to photograph. So before doing underwater stuff, I was doing things like the tiny little jumping spiders and little little iridescent wasps and, and the small hard things that off, always go unnoticed. That was my jam. Yeah. So as soon as I got an underwater camera uh, with a macro and everything like that, I went straight for the, the nudibranchs and the tiny little pelagic shrimp and anything that looked weird and alien, that, that, that's the best. And that is exactly the field guide we need, anything that looks weird and alien. Yeah. Um, Kay, did you have a question? Yeah, you were just talking about your camera and it was, I guess, more along the photography side of it. Like, what is your relationship with your camera? I've heard it described diving with you as like you just swim along, you see something cool, you take a photo and then you move to the next cool thing, take a photo, get in and you have all these amazing, beautiful photos and it seems like there's hardly any effort into it. Have you been using cameras for so long that they're just an extension of your body? 
Yeah, uh, pretty much. That's exactly what it is. So um, through insect photography and trying to capture the colours without getting glare and reflection and and the practice of doing that and getting your camera right so that when the opportunity arises to take the photo, you know the photo's going to work. You're not sort of mucking around with camera arms and things like that. So, um, and, And it's also, it's less stress on the animals as well. So if you see someone with an octopus that's spent 20 minutes and completely emptied their flash batteries it's just it's torturous to watch and i hate seeing that so i want to get the photo right the first time every time and um a part of that means i can take the photo continue diving and just see more and more than the other divers will will capture just because i'm covering more ground essentially Mm. have to ask the question marine fauna of port phillip bay i have to stand up for western port here yep (laughs) represent yeah that's fair (laughs) so what what percentage of creatures do you think would also be found in Western Port? And, and that's a big question because Western Port is so varied. It, it's completely different environment yeah. to, to... So um, probably 80% of what's in Western Port is in the book itself, um, but we had to stop at a region. So the Fishers yeah. book was southeastern Australia, which is a huge area. That goes from uh, southern Queensland all the way over to sort of WA and includes Tasmania but to try and do a fauna book to cover that area and to do all the pelagic things and and anything that's ever washed up on a on a shore or the coastal shore that was going to be impossible so we had to stop it somewhere um I'd love to include Western Port in there as well but it's it's a harder dive it's obviously it's it's different there's a volume two in the making I can hear this already um so when we when we chatted on the phone um I, you know, we talked about how this book was made and the images and, and that uh, you said that some of these images are, you know, quite old. And what I really loved was that you you pointed me to a page 142. So anyone listening who has the guide already, uh, thumb to 142. And, uh, Is this a pop quiz farm? It's, no, it's actually a story that um, I really enjoyed Stephen telling me. So I would love you to share that with the listeners. Yeah, uh, 143. Oh, 143. Wow. Here we go. He knows it's off the top of his head. I do. Up the top, there's a, there's a photo of um, uh, a heap of sand octopus in sort of what's like a mating ball, all balled up and just having the time of their lives. But that photo was actually taken uh, on March 3rd, uh, March 9th, 1981, the night I was born. So uh, what happened? the reason we know the date on that is because Dad was under Frank St. Pierre taking that photo when he came up. He said, where's, where's Alison, my mum? And uh, her, her water had broken and she was off to hospital. <laughs> While he was under the pier. While he was under the pier photographing. So uh, he threw all the gear off, drove straight down to Frankston Hospital and uh, just ran in there, wetsuit, soaking wet, everything. <laughs> so that, that's how long this book's been in the making. So I really didn't have a say in what I was doing with the rest of my life, I don't think. Amazing. Do you, so, have, that, do you have that framed in your house, that particular photo? It's such a significant photo. Uh, I don't. I do actually have uh, my grandpa had a, had a book of all his dives, like he used to log everything that he'd see every time, and it, it's got it's got some fantastic sightings in there, like uh, sea moths and all this, and then just down the bottom casually he's got Alison off to hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so you just mentioned your grandfather. How many generations of family have been involved in this yeah so he's actually got a few photos in there as well some of the soft corals and um and the the sea pens and stuff so uh myself my dad and my grandfather from my mother's side um all sort of 
collaborated on this. I think there's a couple of photos in there from um, my dive buddy, Jules Casey. Everyone knows her as One Breath Diver. Oh, yeah, she's amazing. Mm. I am addicted to her Instagram account. Yeah, so she's uh, we, we, she was the one person that pretty much won't say no to a dive. So <laughs> I don't have many dive buddies, but she's, a, she's my go-to girl. So. Amazing. So, yeah, th- that's why I said this book is really a family affair, not just because of the authors, but the stories of the photos that are in it. Hey, which one's your favourite photo? Probably the one on the cover. Yeah? Yeah, so uh, there's a story behind that one as well. Um, what are we looking at, by the way? Because this is definitely one of those photos where I'm like, what is that? Yeah, so that's a, a paper nautilus, an argonaut riding a jellyfish. And, <laughs> oh, no um, wow. as, as you do. It's kind of a common thing up in the northern hemisphere, but down south it's something that's really not documented. So the argonaut has a symbiotic relationship with the jellyfish where it can pull the jellyfish around because the argonauts are delicious. They're just an octopus in a shell ready to be served, you know, so anything will eat it. <laughs> yeah. But if it's attached to a jellyfish, it's going to sting it. It's protected. Ah, but also it'll pull the jellyfish to more um, sort of prolific feeding grounds and the jellyfish will grow faster. So it'll keep up. with. So whenever you see an argonaut with a jelly, it's usually the bigger jelly That's in the group. incredible. And they often arrive just before all the other jellies arrive. Amazing. So here we go, people. The marine fauna of Port Phillip Bay, fresh off the press. The second batch is being made now. Oh, Nerida, quick question. I just have one more question about that. Yeah. Um, do the... Um, so it's the jellyfish, the jellyfish riding the octopus. Yes. No, the nautilus is riding the jellyfish. Nautilus. Okay. So do the jellyfish look for the? Did they look for, out for them? No, the argonauts will find them. The um, argonauts find them. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So they'll find the jelly and they'll pull it around. But the reason that one's on the cover is uh, Dad and I are in a bit of a dispute over which species it is, whether it's argonaut and nodosa or hoyans. So because we couldn't decide, we couldn't use it as an identification <laughs> Family food. Photo. Family feud So we thought we'd just chuck it on the cover and then so we don't have drama. to ID it. So anyone, you can make up your judgment. You'll, you'll see the cover and you'll know what we're talking about. We it's, actually, it's quite small. It's a baby one. We'll so. flick this one to Mark Norman, I reckon. Yeah, Let him we'll have, have the to. final say. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Um, that was Stephen Coder and get the marine fauna of Port Phillip Bay shortly when it's off the press. How do, we, how do people order it? Because you don't really have a website, do you? No. No, nothing like that yet. Um, usually they don't in that high demand. But um, you can just email my dad, rudycooter at optusnet.com.au um, and he'll take care of it for you. They're $80 each and $10 postage to anywhere in Australia. If you want both books, the fauna book and the fish book, uh, $150 and $10 postage. Wonderful. We'll put that on our Facebook page as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming in and, uh, yeah, get diving and uh, bring your marine fauna of Port Phillip Bay with you, everyone. Thanks, Hi, this is Tim Whitten. If you want to know what's going on in the ocean, tune in to Radio Marinara on 102.7 3RRR. You know where it is. You know where it is indeed. It's on 102.7 FM on Triple R. You're here with us in the studio, Radio Marinara. It's 9.50. And on the Skype, we've got everybody's favourite baykeeper, Neil Blake. Welcome, Neil. Greetings, everybody. Waterlings. <laughs> Hooray. And Skype is working. Nerida is giving us big thumbs up for this one. Uh, Neil, you've been uh, doing a bit of work around microplastics on the beaches um, yesterday, doing some events, haven't you? I was one particular event, and um, it was uh, coordinated by Conservation Volunteers Australia in St Kilda. 
And that was great. Yeah, it was just a, a bit of a gathering of uh, a number of um, kindred spirit organisations, I guess, uh, uh, including Beach Patrol. Uh, that, so there was a, a clean-up conducted on St Kilda Beach, and uh, I did a um, microplastics audit on uh, St Kilda South Beach. So, yeah, it was, it was great to, to meet the different people and uh, uh, see that there's a bit of a growing of relationships, I suppose, around that topic because uh, one of the big concerns about bringing about change is there can be many different organisations that have got their own perspective on things and <laughs> we're not necessarily singing from the same song sheet. So it's great to get together and, and, and meet people and, and develop some practical sort of um, project ideas. Yeah, indeed. And I believe this uh, this National Day of Action um, was uh, the hashtag C to source if you want to know more about this on social media. Um, this was organized by conservation volunteers as well because they, they launched a report, didn't they, Neil, about microplastics um, and their research around Australia recently? Yeah, they do have, um, they've got, I think it's about eight, uh, major rivers that they're sort of um, f focusing on collecting data from. Uh, so I don't have the details of, of what they found, but, uh, you know, as you can imagine, there's <laughs> quite a bit there. Uh, and again, you know, uh, this, this sort of harks to the to topic of uh, uh, using the right methods and, and, and common uh, uh, techniques for, for gathering data. And it's always one of the challenges that we experience at Port Phillip Echo Centre, uh, finding uh, uh, good ways to actually uh, tell the story about what's happening when uh, we might have slightly different approaches to collecting data. Yeah, that's 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 the truth indeed. And it, it gets a little bit frustrated sometimes. We've had you know conversations about this with with partner organisations and others where. Everybody is doing amazing research, but it is so hard to 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 compare the results if the methods differ so much. You know, so so there's all of this amazing stuff that's being done, amazing groups who are doing who are doing work in the microplastic space, but then, you know, everybody produces their own results and it's so hard to to compare this to each other or to put it all in like the one spot or the one database and make sense of it uh, for our legislators. And this is an important thing, right, Neil, because, I mean, we do have an election coming up as well. I don't want to make it too political, but uh, how do you how do you see this um, this issue in the in the larger scheme of things? Uh, well, I think it's it's critical that we get get it right and we actually develop um rigorous methods that are, that are genuinely uh, scientific in, in their approach so that we can actually bring about change because that's that's the government's uh, response to all of this is that any legislative or regulatory change to um, address the issue of um, plastic pollution has to uh, be based on sound peer-reviewed science. Yeah, indeed. Cade? I've just got a quick question. We've just had Steve in talking about identifying creatures and I was curious, do you have a guide or something similar for microplastics? Because, I mean, the thing behind microplastics is they are so small, but obviously they're sourced from somewhere. Do you, like, categorise them? Do you Obviously you don't have a guide with beautiful photos like yeah. Steve's, but do you have something that helps you work out where they're coming from? 
Oh, you can. Uh, they can be uh, the polymers. The different plastic polymers can be uh, you know, detected by being put through the right sort of equipment. But that that sort of uh, takes it outside of the realms of uh, citizen science activity. You know, so uh, you need to collect it and take it into a, almost a laboratory sort of situation where you can get that that sort of um, analysis uh, completed. So, yeah, it, it comes down to a cost uh, factor as well as time too, you know. So uh, at this stage, uh, uh, most of the citizen science that, that I'm aware of is it really just getting a general identification of what the item might be. And uh, we're getting a little bit better at actually saying, yeah, that's actually plastic rather than, <laughs> rather than uh, a cardboard or something like that, you know. So the, the general topic of litter has progressed to the point now where there's a much greater focus on plastic and plastic is is called plastic now rather than just what what it was used for yeah indeed and i think i think we've also come to the point where we can actually to answer your question kate about you know like how do you know the different plastics it, it it's often not so much about the about the type of polymer but but what you want to trace it back to the source right because you want to have source reduction and so things like uh, uh artificial turf from sports grounds when I find that in the samples that I draw out of the Yarra for my research, it is quite obvious that it is fake turf. Like, you know that it is fake turf. And so, you know, you can trace it back to the source. Maybe not like the specific uh, sports grounds, but if you find enough fake turf in your samples, you know, you can take steps to, you know, make people aware of this and uh, potentially go up to, you know, the people who produce um, the fake turf and um, have a conversation there uh, as to how their product is shedding and getting into the environment. So that's yeah. an, that's an example of of how we can trace things back to the source. That's why it's good to have national days of action to sort of bring about these kind of kind of conversations. But there's one that I missed on April the seventh. Is actually uh, National Beer Day. <laughs> What were they advocating for? Actually, I missed it too. (laughs) (laughs) Had to identify the different beers, you know, and which ones are the most uh, inebriating, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I don't know how we're going to sell that as citizen science, but I reckon we'd be quite successful. (laughs) (laughs) You you mentioned last time we uh, had you on, Neil, about the City Nature Challenge. Now, it's getting closer to that happening. Um, is the Eco Centre or are there any groups or councils doing anything that people could be involved with to be a part of the City Nature Challenge? Yeah, I believe that there are, there are about 30 councils around the Greater Melbourne area that are, that are participating in it this year. So uh, I guess uh, people could check their local council website to, to um, see if there's any reference to it. But if you just Google City Nature Challenge, though, that, that will uh, give you the general... Um, concept uh, and really it essentially is about uh, photographing nature in, in your area and submitting that to the iNaturalist. So you do need an iNaturalist app, I believe, to be able to uh, complete the process and then uh, the, what you've um, photographed will be identified by experts. Wonderful. So you can download iNaturalist on your phone and uh, log everything you find in the Nature Challenge and also spider crabs when you see them under Spider Crab Watch. So that's great. Thank you so much for being here, Neil. Just to mention that's between April uh, 28th and May the 1st. There's a little four-day window that um, uh, things should be submitted.
Wonderful. Um, so that's all we have time for today. Um, thank you so much, Neil, for being here, our baykeeper extraordinaire for Port Phillip Bay. Thank you so much to Dr. Dr. Elodie Campras from Deakin Uni talking about Spider Crab Watch. And of course, Stephen Couter, uh, co-author of Marine Fauna of Port Phillip Bay, ID Guide. Thanks, Bron. Thanks, Farm. <laughs> thanks, Cade and Nerida. Thanks, Farm. And uh, thanks, everyone uh, who's been here. Next week, we've got Anth, Dr. Beach and Rex coming up. And uh, for now, ta and uh, stay tuned for The Doctors with Radiotherapy. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.